thank you, Corey and Kelsey. That was incredible. And, and just, uh, it just puts us in a perfect spot to receive uh, what, what Christ has done for us. And it just allows us to be in a perfect spot to just continue to respond to all the things that um, we know to be true of Jesus and those things. So thank you for that. We've just uh, opened our hearts and minds to be receptive to God this morning. And we want to continue in the word and um, reading from Romans chapter 12. And chapter 12 through 16 of Romans is, is really the most important part of Romans, the, the book that Paul writes to the church in Rome, um, because the chapters 1 through 11 that he writes about before that culminate in chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15, and then the final greeting in 16. But Paul starts this chapter with, therefore, I urge you. Brothers and sisters. And what Paul is telling us is, therefore, everything that has come before what I'm about to share with you, I told you so that I could share this with you. So, chapter 12 is really the crux, it's really the thesis statement of what Paul was writing about in all of the chapters 1 through 11. I told you all of this so that I could tell you this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of the gospel, in view of the good news, in view of the resurrection of Christ, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so this is the culmination of what Paul has brought us here for. God has done this through Christ. Now live your life in such a way that you are changed by everything. And so last week we started this brand new series called In and Out. And we sort of walked through the purpose of practices. And it's this ancient tradition called spiritual discipleship or spiritual disciplines. We call it here spiritual practices because we want to put the emphasis on the practice part of it. We want to be engaged in the action of it. And practices help us remind us that what we need to do to be in Christ, what we need to do is repeat these things over and over again. And this is not a to-do list. This is not a laundry list of items. We have to do these things if we want to grow our faith. We must do these things. We said that the purpose of a spiritual practice is to create intentional space so that we can come to know and love Jesus deeper. That's what a spiritual practice is. It's going to create these spaces. And through the next seven weeks, we're going to introduce seven spiritual practices that will help create intentional space in our lives so that we can know and love Jesus more. Because that's what we want to do. That's the whole purpose of our lives as Christians. It's not to do this laundry list of things. It's not to read our Bible. It's not to go to church. These are not to do things. 
We as Christians want to know and love God more. And so in this space that we're going to create for Jesus, we're going to do these things that are going to help us come through that. And so um, they all form the acronym WORSHIP. So each week starts with a letter of worship. And so this week it is worship, worshiping the Trinity. That is our first spiritual practice that's going to create an intentional space in our life so that we can know and love Jesus more. Now, we just got done with worship, kind of. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit as to why our picture in the church nowadays is wrong about what worship is. And so when we talk about worshiping the Trinity, I'm going to actually talk about biblically what worship looks like and how we can uh, just transform our lives around that. Because ultimately, what, uh, we become what we love. So this is from a book by a guy named James K.A. Smith, And uh, the book was uh, You Are What You Love. And he says this, Our tastes, as we say, are acquired. But our tastes can be trained without realizing it. For example, the widespread use of high fructose corn syrup in so many processed foods produces, uh, it generates a desire for more of it, despite the negative effects of such processed foods. The result is this vicious cycle this vicious circle of hunger that is a product of engineered tastes. We learn to crave things that aren't good for us because we are immersed in systems and environments that channel us into this sort of eating. Our hungers are being trained and automated without us realizing it. And the same is true for our deepest existential hungers, our loves, we might not realize the ways that we're being convert, uh, covertly trained to hunger and thirst for idols that can never satisfy. Now, we start with worship in the acronym, not only because it starts with W and then that would mess up our whole thing, but because worship is the heart of discipleship. Worship goes back to everything that we do in our lives, in our discipling world. To be a follower of Christ means to worship Christ. It means to worship the Trinity in everything that we do. So every spiritual practice we talk about from here on out, you're going to see an element of worship in that. So we start at worship because it is the foundation of our discipleship as people. Our daily life radiates from and is nourished by worship, particularly the worship life of the gathered congregation. The worship life that we go through here affects our daily worship in the week. Our Monday through Saturday is affected by the worship that we celebrate here as people that are gathered together. And we continue in that through the week. And what we gain here, what we do here in worship affects everything What do we begin to crave? What do we begin to value? What do we begin to hunger and thirst for? The passion of your body, is it focused on worldly things? Is it focused on only getting back the things that the world craves? Or is your worship craving more God? Is your passion for God 
infectious of other people. And so Christian worship is all about developing new hungers. It's all about taking these cravings for the world and this craving for processed food and getting back to what we really can be fed on, the nutrition. Putting it a different way, what we are devoted to will shape our lives. What we spend our time thinking about, what we spend our times being devoted to, what we become addicted to will shape the rest of our lives. It always, uh, it's so crazy to see the pictures, uh, you know, uh, people, criminals, they get addicted to meth. But then you see like, here's how they looked before meth. And as they continue on down this pathway of addiction, it shapes their entire life. The one thing they want more of is the thing that's harming their body. What we are devoted to, what we're passionate about, what we're addicted to will shape our lives. And we start to see it in everything. We begin to look and act like the things we worship. And so then we begin to dissect that. What is it that I'm worshiping? If I'm worshiping Christ, does my life reflect that? Does my life reflect that I have a hunger and a thirst for Christ? Or do I just hunger and thirst for him on Sunday mornings? What am I hungry and thirsty for Monday through Saturday? In subtle ways, small things creep in from who or what we worship. How did anger in my life start to creep in? If I'm worshiping Christ and I'm modeling my life on his, where does my anger come from? Where does my impatience come from? Where does my stubbornness come from? If I'm celebrating Christ in everything and worshiping him and modeling myself on that, where do those subtle things come from? Because it seems then that I'm not worshiping Christ in everything that I do. There are other sources of my addiction. There are other sources of my hunger. And instead of God feeding me all of those things, instead of God giving me all of that stuff, I find other ways to fill that. Where I might allow ego to drive my choices or my interactions with other people or my impatience to drive other people away. So the notion of worship is really liable to be misunderstood. What the Western church defines as worship is far from what the ancient church would call worship. And I'm not just talking about the songs that we sing or the style of music. I'm not talking about guitars versus pipe organs. I'm talking about the the function, what worship looks like in our life, in our Sunday morning compared to biblically what Paul is talking about in the scriptures, about how we are a living sacrifice. And so when we hear the word uh, worship, we think of music. We think of our worship time together. We think of here's a time to sing and here is a time to hear the word. And those are two separate things. But Here at this church, we have intentionally not used the word worship for anything that we do because we don't want you to misunderstand. We have four elements to our gatherings. 
the word and music and prayer and communion. And all of that stuff together encompasses worship. We continue in worship with our prayer. We continue in worship by reading the word. We continue in worship in our music. And each one of these elements affect people in different ways. Some people aren't musically inclined. They don't like to sing. They're embarrassed by their voice. So singing is not an expression of worship for them, but they love to pray or they love to read the word of God. And so worship is this expression in different ways. And so when we think of worship primarily just as music, as singing, as songs, we're missing a great portion of what we've talked about. We gather worshiping, not to worship. We don't gather to worship, but we come worshiping. And this changes the function of the church. This changes the function of the people that show up. Because all of a sudden, it's not, I can only worship at one time, in one particular place, in one particular style. I don't like the songs of that church, so I can't worship in the way that I want to worship. And then we've, again, fallen short because we're allowing someone else to dictate how we create space for God in our life. True Christian worship is nothing less than the invitation to participate in the life of the triune God. An invitation to participate. Okay, so now we're starting to break down the walls of what traditional worship looks like. An invitation to participate. Now that sounds interesting. I think I would like to participate. Everyone wants to be invited to the party. No one wants to be left out. I want to participate. I want to come to God. I want to say, I am a Christian. I am a believer. And I want to participate in all the things that God has set aside. And so how do I do that? Well, that's great. That's a great question. Worship is that primary means of how we participate in the life of God. And here's how we can start to change our minds on that. God is both the subject and the object of our worship. So God is both what we sing about and he's also what we sing to. And in that way, God is the initiator of worship. We are not the initiator of worship. God is the initiator of worship. Okay, now, that's confusing. How does that work? Because God's not here singing with us. That's crazy to think about that. How is it that God has initiated worship? Because clearly that was Kelsey up here singing. So how is it that God is the initiator of worship? See, our picture is backwards of what worship means. Our picture is we come and we sing and we express our joy and our thanksgiving and our praise to God. And then that opens us up to this great thing. And we say, yes, God, I'm yours. Here I am. Send me. And so we think of worship primarily as an expressive function. But really, worship starts at the top. And God says, this is all I have done for you. This is the amazing things that have happened. Paul says in the first 11 chapters of this book, here's how now we should live. Because you have seen 
what God has done in your life. Because you have seen the glory of Jesus. And you have heard the good news of his resurrection. Now, let's live in this way. How is worship initiated by God? How is it not? Because God has done something for us. He has done something in the world. And he's asking us to participate in it. And then we can stand in front of him in this church, in our car, in the school, in our work, wherever we are. We can stand in that place and we say, God, I have seen what you have done. And it is good. And it is so good. We think of worship as expressive, but worship is a formational process. God is initiating this transformation in us where we can take everything that he has done and stand in front of it in glory and say, God, this has been so good. You are so good because you have revealed yourself to us. See, worship puts us in a place to be both receptive and responsive to the Holy Spirit's movements and invitations. Worship is the space that we open up in our lives to receive and respond. Everything that we do in worship, every single thing boils down to those two words, revelation and response. God has revealed himself to you. Now, how are you going to respond to it? The revelation, the word revelation is just the Greek word for unveiling, to unmask something. When we're revealed, we take off our masks. We see the truth of what God and who God is in the form of Jesus. Jesus stood with his disciples and said, you have heard it said, but I say to you now, here's an unveiling, here's an unmasking. Here's a, let's get away from the law. Let's get away from these things that have buried who God is for so long. And let me reveal to you a God full of love. And now, how are you going to respond to that? Are you going to model your life based on all of those things? Or are you just going to say, hmm, that's nice. Now I get into heaven because I believe that what he was saying was true. This encounter, this revelation of who God is, does something to us. It's an action. Worship is an action. It's a response to the things God has already done. We are met and remade by a living and active God. Worship is meant to be top down, not bottom up. And I think that can really transform our lives and transform and put us in this space where we can start to see things from a different perspective. And Paul says it this way, true and proper worship is not conforming to the pattern of the world, but transforming through the renewal of your mind. God is revealing himself and worship is our response to this. And so how does God reveal himself? Well, when we come here every Sunday... There are four ways that God reveals himself to us through music, through prayer, through word, and through the table. That's how we celebrate and reflect on who God is because he's showing us who he is. When we sing, 
I am who you say I am. That's a revelation from God. And that's us joining in and responding and saying, yes, God, I believe that. You have shown through that. If the stars were made to worship, then so will I. Yes, God, I can see your design in everything. And that leads me to a response. True Christian worship is changing your perspective to see God in everything. Worship is all about this change of perspective. It's a renewing of your mind. Be transformed by renewing your mind. You see him in everything. So now how will you respond? Renewing your mind allows you to discern God in everything. Because if we just look at the world and what the world wants, God will never show up. And so Paul is urging those who read the letter to respond to the gospel by offering our whole body as a living sacrifice. This means everything we see and hear and touch, everywhere we travel, God is there revealing himself to us. And so being a Christian means adopting a new way of perceiving everything. This is what true worship is for a Christian, a new way of perceiving the world around us. And this is what Paul is inviting us into. In light of everything that I've told you about who God is and Jesus revealing God to us, why don't you look at the world in a different way now? Why don't you start acting like it? Why don't you start believing it through your actions and showing people that Christ is who he says he is and God is worth living for? Why don't you perceive everything in a new way? This is our spiritual act of worship because when we live our way like that, God will reveal his will and his perfect pleasing ways to us. He urges us to respond in such a way. And so I promised that each week we'd talk a little bit about the practice and then I'd give you a couple ways, a few ways that you can take something in your own life as a way to practice that. So we're going to go through five things today. You don't have to do all of them. This is not like I got to do this and this and this. Find one of them and then practice it through the week. Don't try all of these things. Do one thing and say, you know what? That's something that I'm struggling with. And I think that I could open up a space for Jesus in my life if I work on this one thing. So let's talk about ways that we can practice worship in our lives. And so the first way is to practice through celebration. And so celebration is a way of engaging in actions that orient the spirit toward worship, praise, and thanksgiving. And celebrating God does not depend on perfect circumstances or happy feelings. Even in prison, Paul and Silas found something to sing about. Acts 16. So delighting in all the attentions and never changing presence of the Trinity fuels celebration. So how can we actually practice? This is the practical part of it now. How do we actually practice celebration? Well, we can start by identifying and pursuing things that bring our hearts deep gladness and revealing and reveling in them uh, before the Lord. 
So it could be things like time spent with others, sharing meals, working, serving, worshiping, laughing, listening to music, dancing. What brings you joy? Identify it and then revel in it with God. Eating a meal together can be an act of worship. It can be an act of celebration. As long as God is there, as long as God is being attended to. Attend to people who bring you joy. Don't spend time with people who rob you of that joy, who are toxic in your life or cause you to lose your patience and anger. Find people that bring you joy and spend time with them. Encourage their joyness. And so what fruit can we bear from celebration? What fruit can we expect to gain from this practice? Well, we can start living from a mentality of abundance rather than scarcity. If we practice celebration, we're going to start living in abundance. We're going to cultivate a spirit of gladness. We'll be free from the addiction to criticism and negativity. And we'll start to enjoy every good and perfect gift as God given. Those are huge fruits in our lives. And those are great gifts to bear through celebration. The next spiritual practice in worship is gratitude, the practice of gratitude. Now, this is the one that I'm going to be practicing through the week and maybe the month and hopefully maybe the year because gratitude is the one thing in my heart that I fail to express at any given time. And so I'm looking at this and I'm saying, yeah, gratitude is something that I can do, that I can practice to create space for worship in God. So gratitude is a loving and thankful response toward God for his presence with us and within this world. Though blessings can move us into gratitude, it's not at the root of a thankful heart. Delighting in God and his goodwill is the heartbeat of thankfulness. Delighting in God. So how do we practice gratitude? These are the ones I'm going to be listening to and writing down because this is what I need to do. How to practice gratitude, gratefully giving and sharing all you are and have as a sign of your thankfulness to God. Sharing who you are and everything you have as a sign of your thankfulness to God. Or expressing gratitude to others, as in getting in the habit of saying, thank you, I am so grateful, you are kind, and so forth. You can practice gratitude by practicing an abundance mentality. Counting the blessings in life rather than the things you don't have. Or to practice gratitude, you can practice by abstaining from comparative statements about what you don't have. Instead, give thanks for what you do have. And here's some of the fruit that we can expect to bear as we practice gratitude. Being aware of the abundance of gifts, benefits, and mercies, and grace that have been poured into your life. And we can expect that Uh, the fruit that comes from practicing gratitude is curbing critical tendencies by upstaging them with thanksgiving. Don't be critical, be thankful. Or we can also see uh, what we have as quickly as we see what we don't have. As we practice gratitude, we're going to be quicker to start to see what I actually have rather than what I don't have. And here's the big one for me. In practicing gratitude, I want to start receiving everything I have as a gift rather than as an entitlement. 
that the things that I already have, I don't compare because I've been gifted even just the small amount that I have. Here's another way to practice worship in our lives, and that is practicing Sabbath. And this is a hard one for our culture to do because it's setting aside time to not be busy. And so Sabbath is God's gift of repetitive and regular rest. Well, how can resting be worship? Well, it's given for our delight and communion with God. And so if we're not taking a regular Sabbath, if we're not spending time with God over a 24-hour period, then we're robbing God of that space where he comes into our lives, that presence of God. Time for being in the midst of a life of doing really characterizes the Sabbath. The Sabbath is really about being, because remember, we're human beings, not human doings. So we want to set aside time for being rather than doing. Here's a question to ask as you enter a Sabbath. What difficulties or compulsions make it hard for you to stop? So as we set time apart for rest, as we set time aside for God in our lives, we have to ask ourselves, what is making it so hard to stop? And so how do we practice the Sabbath? Well, resting in God for one day per week. Practicing restful activities. Letting go of things that stress you out for 24 hours. Having difficult conversations another day. Maybe turning off your phone for 24 hours. (gasps) Shock and gasp. How could I ever? But if these are the things that are keeping you from God... How can we now rest? How can we turn off that compulsion part of our brain? How can we turn off that addicted part of our brain to the world and to society and to social media and say, God, I want to spend 24 hours uninterrupted with you? Imagine if the church today regularly practiced Sabbath, what our worship on Sundays would look like across the country saying, I just spent 24 hours with God and now I'm going to enter into the presence of everyone else in my community who has spent time with God over the last 24 hours, the gates of hell would not prevail. And so what can we expect to gain? What can we have as fruit from a Sabbath rest? Well, freedom from busyness and rush and hurry. Freedom from that daily grind. How not to be busy. And an understanding that those things can wait for one more day. We think at the beginning of the Sabbath, it's really hard to put those things away because we have so much to do. And as we do Sabbath for a little bit of time after a month, we realize all those things that we thought were urgent and important are in a completely different category. Because they were able to wait through the Sabbath. And I trust God enough with my time and my life to say, these things can wait. You're more important than this. And also, you'll be able to acknowledge your human limits and live within them. Because that's part of what the Sabbath does, is it gets us to a point where we can start to acknowledge that we can't do everything and be everywhere for everyone at all times, that there are limits. That if you say no to things, you can say yes to others. 
And if we say yes to everything, then we say no to a lot more, and we miss out on that. Number four is a Latin word, uh, two words, and I'm going to tell you what it means. It means holy seeing or holy vision. Visio divia is an ancient practice of seeing God in everything. The practice of visio divina we intentionally seek God by praying with images and even creation itself and seeing it in everything that we do. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language. Their voice yet goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. The practice of Visio Divina is about entering the door of praise through the beauty of creation. It's allowing the creativity of others to open a path to worship. It's intentionally seeking to worship God when you are running or hiking or exercising outside. Using your senses to pray, God, thank you for air conditioning. Let's worship. Wow, that would be strange, wouldn't it? But yet, here we are. God has given us these things. And so God-given fruit from this, from this act of seeing, this holy seeing, is just an awareness of that everything can be found in the created order of things. Just a, a heart that worships the creator in everything. That God, you are first creator of things and creator of people, and we worship you in that. And really a growing appreciation of the beauty of the earth and all the things and the glory of the sky. Can we find God in a sunset? Absolutely. Can we find him in a waterfall? Absolutely. Can we find him in a painting? Absolutely. Because God created beauty and we can worship God by opening ourselves up to that beauty. And our last one is uh, worship because that's what we're talking about. So how do we practice worship in practicing worship? Worship happens whenever we intentionally cherish God and value him above all else in life. Worship reveals what is important to us. And so we can practice worshiping by focusing on and responding to God with our whole being, offering your whole body as a spiritual act of worship. Responding to God's truth with loving obedience. Regularly engaging in worshiping with the community. And that's a big one because a lot of times we say, why do we need to gather? I can worship in my car. I can sing like that. I can pray at home. But worshiping as a community does something else for us. Worshiping together as people show God that we can gather in his name and we center ourselves on that. And that God-given fruit that comes from practicing worship means that we are meeting God and bringing him pleasure, delighting in the Lord and living out gratitude, doing our part to grow our relationship with God and refocusing on God so that you can see that he is good and worthy of that. 
and a deeper appreciation and a sense of joining with heaven and joining with the company of saints in all the things that we do. On your way out today, on the table in the back, there is this sheet. I promised you would have a little bit of homework, but this is for you to do. You don't have to do it, but it is a good indication. It says worshiping the Trinity, and it gives five things here. I am aware of God's presence in my life, confident of his love for me, and intentionally celebrate our connection. Where do you land on that spectrum? One is low, four is high. And so find where you land in each of those categories, in each of those sentences, and then you can see in real time how well you are practicing in your life worship and this creating a space for Jesus in your worship. And then there's a section for desire. On one of them that particularly strikes you, when people, experiences, or and work are more important than God, I am aware of it. If I'm low in that category, maybe I want to desire to be higher there. I would put a mark there, and then I would I would come back to this every day during the week as I'm trying to practice worship, and I would say, This is what I'm trying to do, to be aware of when people and experiences and work are more important than God because I want to change that. I want to change that. So you'll get one of these each week as we are practicing these spiritual practices so that you can assess yourself. It's not for me. I don't, we're not collecting them. I don't care. You don't have to put your name on it. This is for your study. This is for your devotion to God and uh, the ability for you to respond to who he is and know And so as we move into a time of communion, as we move into a time that we can celebrate that together, um, in a moment we'll pray for that. And then when you're ready, you can collect the the communion over there and take it when you're ready as we sing um, this final song. And then we'll come back together and pray one final time. But let me read this that Jesus says in John to the woman at the well. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Let's pray together as we celebrate the table this morning.